following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Dear Lord God, I thank you that we have a God whose love is unfailing. A love that knows no limits and is shown to fallen, sinful people and changes us forever. But I pray that as we come together this morning as your family, as your bride, that we would be ready to hear your truth spoken through your words that you have inspired, that there is life in these words. Humble me and put me in a spot where I can speak clearly to bring your truths to the church here this morning. That it's not just my opinions or, or my take on something that I would do justice to your great word. I just pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Um, so we live in a world where there is much diversity, even in the Christian community. And I don't just mean the diversity of the people who make up the body of Christ, but diversity in what is a Christian. And as I look over the kind of the, the span of church history, one of the things that sometimes is concerning to me over the last few years, this increase of making the Christian faith an individualistic faith. Because I don't like what I see in this church, or I don't really like the gospel that you're preaching because it makes me uncomfortable. I'm going to step outside of the body and do my own thing. My preference, my desires supersede anybody else's. And that has become a challenge because there, there are some of you maybe even sitting here right now who still have some confusion about what really is true and required over what you prefer and what you desire. You see, there's a problem here. And the problem isn't the gospel. The problem isn't the church. The problem is us. See, we as people, we tend to put ourselves as the highest goal. Our pleasures, our desires, that's what's most important to us. So if I can manipulate the truths of God's word to make me feel a little bit more comfortable, or if I can tweak it so that I can sell it better and fill the seats, I'm going to do that. What we're going to be looking at is the letter of Second John. And when you look at it, the church here, first century Christians, are dealing with a lot of what we deal with right here, right now, today. It's written to a people who are struggling 
because some have gone out from them and we're on a mission to spread a false gospel. So I'll give you a chance to flip to Second John, give you a quick overview. The, the author of this book actually never reveals himself. He just calls himself the elder. Uh, church tradition, and it seems to be holding pretty firm, there's not much argument against the author of this. Most believe that it is John, the apostle. Most likely at the time of writing this, he's, he's towards the end of his life. He's most likely the only remaining living apostle. And he sends this letter to a church and a community in modern-day Turkey. And he is intimate with them. It's a short letter, probably enough to fill one side of piece of paper, sheet of paper, papyrus, sorry. Um, and it's pretty straightforward and to the point. It's kind of a stop letter. Hey, I'm great to hear that some good things are happening here. There are some things I'm concerned about. Let me give you a warning until I can get to see you face to face. So I'm going to read through all of Second John. It's not very long, so don't worry. So Second John. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, not only I but all those who know the truth, because the truth that abides in us will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father, Son, in truth and love. So I just want to make a comment here real fast before we keep going. I hope you hear already the word truth multiple times. In three verses, he has said it. It is important to John because everything else that he is talking about in the rest of this letter is based off of the truth, not a truth, the truth. Continuing on. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as they were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing a new commandment, but one that we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you heard from the beginning so that in it you should walk. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have been working for, but will win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. 
So John is rejoicing that some have continued to walk in truth and love. And the last time I had the opportunity to be up here to speak to you, we, we spent a lot of time talking about what it means to walk in truth and love and how love drives us to the truth. And as we dwell in the truth, it produces love in us. But today I want to focus on 7 through 11, where she kind of twists the focus here a little bit. He's concerned for these people who have left the church. They've walked out. And they are teaching a false gospel. They are denying that Christ has come in the flesh. It was so offensive that that John calls them the deceiver. They were part of the church. They have heard the truth, but now we're propagating lies as the truth. He goes so far to actually call them the antichrist because what they're sharing was anti, against, not what Christ desires for his people. So in these, these few verses, as I was reading through this and trying to figure out what God wants me to say here, I see John driving this church, directing them to three things to call or to check in their lives. So the, the first call to the church in Second John in these verses, I believe, is only one gospel unites us to the Father and the Son. Only one gospel unites us to the Father and the Son. It seems that, that the people there who have gone out from this church were following a type of docetism. It's a fancy word for something really not that fancy. It's this belief that when Christ, God, came to earth in Jesus, there's an emphasis on one part of who he was. There's a high view of docetism, which emphasizes the nature of Christ, the divine aspect of him, and diminishes the physical part. There's also a low view of docetism, which emphasizes the humanity of Christ, and kind of limits the godliness of him. And since it seems, according to what we have here, they're denying the physical part of Christ, they're probably followers of this high view. They wouldn't deny that there's a God. They would even say there is one transcendent, keyword, transcendent, apart, removed, God over creation. And that verses from, from John himself, verses like uh, in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, which talks about how the Word became flesh, would be offensive to these people. God can't become flesh. He's spirit. A lot of this view seems to walk hand in hand with the Gnostic movement that was slowly developing in the church at this time, this false view that what is spiritual is good and right, but what's physical is wrong, sinful, dirty. Even today we struggle with this a little bit, or a lot. I don't know, it depends on where you are. When I talk to, to people, often we emphasize so much the divine nature of Christ. It's, it's almost like, he floated above the land as he moved through Israel. We forget that he was a human. 
And see, there's a problem with this belief because our salvation, our redemption would be lacking if Christ was only here spiritually and just seemed to appear to be here physically. When God created the world, he created a physical place. And then he takes that very physical matter and he, he shapes it and breathes life into it and creates man. And then takes more physical matter out of this man and creates a woman. And he places them in the physical world. And when he looks over at it, he says that it's very good. If he is calling something that he has created very good, why would that change? Hebrews chapter 2 verses 17 and 18 says that he is made in our very image. That when he came, he became like us in every way. There's a good reason for that. Because if he was not like us, what kind of mediator would he be for us? He knows what it means to be human. He felt physical pain. He had emotions. And now he stands before the Father mediating for us. One who has experienced all that we have experienced, but did it without sin. Matthew 4, verse 2 tells us that he was, he was hungry. In John, we hear that he's thirsty, he's tired, he felt sorrow. One of the parts that, that, that I read that, that shock me is that in the beginning of the book of Luke, it tells us that he grew in understanding. Even when he resurrects, he has a physical body that people can touch. He sits down and eats fish. One of the greatest hopes we have, I forget which song it was that we sang, was talking about this glorified body that we get. A physical body that we get when Christ returns, those who have put their faith in him alone will receive a new body so that we can then stand physically in the presence of God and worship Him with all that He created. The emotions, my physical body, my heart, my mind, my spirit. But this is only for those who have their faith in the true gospel. This idea that God became flesh in Christ, fully man, fully God. That he lived a perfect life, something we could not do. He took on our sin, the very corruption, the very thing that has marred our bodies. He took that on and died a physical, excruciating, painfully death. He was resurrected physically and now stands before God. Christ's work was to redeem not just our spirit, 
but our entire being. If there was no purpose to this physical life that we live, why did he create it? He created it for his glory. And his work on this earth was to redeem it all back for his glory. Only one gospel does that. Only one person is able to redeem back spirit and body because his spirit and body was without sin. It's not wrong for the author to call these people deceivers and antichrists. Because if you followed their teaching, it only led to death. Which is very anti the Christ of the Bible. The one who desires to bring life. There's one gospel. This church was faced with, with this error, this, this docetism view that God wasn't fully man when he came to earth here. He just appeared that way. Which is scary if you truly take that out. Because if he is unable to feel pain, to feel death, we're still under wrath. Because he was unable to take it from us. So John is pointing out to this church this one heresy, but that is not the only one that we deal with. There are false gospels everywhere. It brings us to the second call to the church. Search yourself. Church, search yourself to see if the true Christ and his gospel abide within you. Take a look at verse 8. John writes, Watch yourself so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. I need, I need to take a moment here before we can fully dive into this because this is one of those verses that people come across and, and red flags sometimes shoot up in people's heads here. So a little sidebar here. Some people read this verse and they say, oh, see, a Christian can lose their faith. You can lose what you worked for. You can lose the full reward. That doesn't seem to sink very well with John. If you read the rest of John's writings, you will find, what is it, uh, John 10, I think, it talks about who can take you from his hand? First John chapter 2.19 says, If they were truly of us, they would have never left us. There's more in the New Testament. I'm just focusing here on John. Uh, there's more even in John. But if you take a look at the scripture, there is no doubt that if you are truly saved, you will not fall away. You will persevere to the end. So what is it that John is saying here that we might lose if we're not watching ourselves? 
What is this work that has been done? Well, I believe it's pastoral and missional work. They were out serving in their community or, or, or counseling others. And, and it's this idea that if you allow a different gospel to creep in, those things might fade away. I mean, we, we've seen this. You might even know of pastors, good pastors, who have had ministries just crumble away because they've allowed other doctrines to creep in. And then he, what, what is this like? We can maybe lose a reward? What is he talking about here? Every Christian has a reward. We have Christ. We have heaven. We have eternal life. Those things are guaranteed for every Christian. And without spending hours, the quickest way I can phrase this, he's saying to watch yourself so that you may receive a full reward. The full reward are these blessings, these benefits that the faithful Christian will receive in heaven. Now, if you want to talk to me later about crowns and jewels and all that other stuff, we can do that. We can talk about that. I don't fully grasp how it plays out, but there is something to that. And when I'm reading John here and knowing the apostle, he is not saying you might miss out on heaven, Christian. But he is saying there is so much more to heaven and I want you to experience all of it. So he warns the church from losing their work and their full reward. And he tells them to watch themselves. If you read it in the actual language, the original language, he says, see yourself. He uses the imperative, see. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. Um, we can watch a lot of stuff and really not see what's happening. Uh, police officers deal with this all the time. You know, three people see the same event and nobody sees it the same way. Person was tall, the person was fat. Next person says, no, he was short and he was balding. It was a man. No, it was a woman. We love to do this. People pay big bucks to go see an illusionist. You know, he stuffs the handkerchief into his hand here and he snaps and you're looking over here not seeing that he just shoved the handkerchief in his back pocket. You were watching but you're not seeing. He's saying, don't glance at your life. Don't say, ah, it's not that bad. Give excuses. But look intently to see what is truly abiding within you. Are you following the true Christ of the Scriptures? Are you following the buddy Jesus of the American culture? You know, he's cool with whatever. Gives you the thumbs up. Are you following after a gospel that saves? Or are you following after a gospel that makes you just feel comfortable with who you are? He cautions, he cautions them because they have progressed past what the Bible, excuse me, what the gospel and the true teachings of Christ are. In verse 9, he says, Everyone who goes 
on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ, does not have God. They're, they're taking, they're trying to take truth and make it go further than God has intended it to go. Most, most of you might agree that if you take the gospel and you subtract something from it, what you're left with is not the gospel. But the same thing is true, that if you take the gospel and you add something to it, what you get over here, nothing. You don't have the gospel. If you take away who Christ is, you don't have God because it's through Christ that you receive God. Or if you take a gospel and add a different Christ... You're way over there somewhere when God's over here. We can push the boundaries. Lee and I have this, this phrasing that we say to even our kids that when you step outside of God's boundaries, you're also placing yourself outside of God's protection. Which is what these people were doing. They were taking the truths of God and they were stepping outside of them. They're no longer under his protection. There are so many deceivers out there today pandering a false gospel. Are you following one of them? When you look inside of who you are, do you see the true gospel Or are you following a false one? There's so many out there. The prosperity gospel, we bash that one a lot, right? Um, Moralism, that's a great one. Especially if you have children, how easy it is to creep over into just do what's right and remove the grace of the gospel. Or, or fundamentalism, or, or, or therapeutic, therapeutic, therapeutic deism. This idea that God just is there to make you feel good. Search yourself. I would hate for you to find yourself standing before God, thinking you knew what you were doing was right. And him actually say, you know what? That's not Jesus. That's not the gospel you were following. If you've experienced the depth of the gospel, I mean, I mean, you've tasted it, you've seen how awesome it is. Don't you become protective of it? I mean, you've, you've tasted it. So as soon as you taste something else that is not as good, you spit it out. A couple weeks ago, uh, my wife got these peaches at the farmer's market. And when you bit into them, they were awesome. I mean, the, the, the perfect consistency, juicy, I mean, dripping down your arm, awesome. And then she went to go just the other day and they were out of peaches now because now it's pumpkin season and no one likes to eat pumpkin. So um, it's not as satisfying when you bite into a pumpkin, right? <laughs> and when you bite into a peach. But so then she went to, the, to Costco or something and got some peaches 
And you bite into it and you're just like, blah, like you call that a peach? Where did this come from? Oh, the other side of the world. Okay, that makes sense. We begin to protect when we know that this is, this is good, this is right. That is not. Which kind of brings to the last call here. John is calling the church. He is saying, church, Christians, protect the bride in the name of Christ. Don't let the bad peaches or apples, it's usually what we use, don't let those bad things in. Protect it. Protect the bride in the name. This is what he's talking about. Take a look at verse 10 and 11. He says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, in this case, the teaching that Christ did come here physically. He wasn't an illusion of a human. Do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Christian hospitality is awesome. My wife and I and our five children, we don't own a house. We live with a family. Where are they? I saw them sneak in late. It's okay. They're living with seven other random people. Um, they open up their home to us. That's insane. Some of you guys know my kids. That's insane. Why? Because they said, you know what? God gave us this house. Why don't we allow him to use it the way he wants it to be used? You know what's even crazier? Last weekend, they took in two other families for the weekend. We had a zoo literally living in our house. Hebrews 13, 1 Peter 4, 1 Timothy 3, all of these things are telling us, look, you as a church should be hospitable to one another. Aid visitors, even people who aren't Christians, help them out. So for John to write to this church and say, look, don't let them in, the offense must have been huge. Just gigantic. He's saying these deceivers are masquerading as Christians. They are taking advantage of your hospitality. They're using it to spread a false, divisive, and chaotic teaching. To take them in is to welcome and approve their teachings. It's the same today. There are certain people who will never stand behind this pulpit because of what they teach. It doesn't matter how shiny their teeth are or how perfect their hair is on every book that they put out. They will not stand behind this pulpit. We have to be careful to protect. But I, and again, here's another section where we can take these verses out of context and slam the door in every sinner's face. And that's not what John is saying. These are in the context of deceivers, those who are going out intentionally to share a false gospel. 
So if there is a Christian that you know who is, is maybe kind of stalling in their faith, or maybe you have the neighbor or a family member who is just, forget Jesus. John is not saying slam the door in that person's faith, face. We should be welcoming those people in. But these people are different. Some of you might be sitting here thinking like, I hear what you're saying, but aren't we supposed to love our enemies? Come on. Yes, love them. John's not saying spit in their eye. Push them when they walk by you. Let me give this example. And, I, and this isn't the perfect example, but I think it helps make the point. If a rapist was to move into my neighborhood, man, I would be praying for him. I'd be asking God to move in his life in some pretty awesome ways. But I will not rent a room in my house where my wife and kids sleep. Because it's my job to protect them. Because I love them. They're a gift given to me. I love the church too. I love that God has given me life. I love the beauty of the gospel. I'm going to protect that. We all have that job. Me as a pastor, the other pastors, the elders here, we're specifically called to make sure that false doctrines aren't creeping into the church. But it's all our jobs to be sure that this doesn't happen. I had a pastor share with me once, telling me about a church that he was part of. He said, you know, Kurt, you, you could pretty much speak heresy and no one would question your faith. But man, if you were to talk bad about the Republican Party, they would, are you a Christian? I don't know where you stand on that, but let me point out this. Jesus was not a Democrat. He wasn't a Republican. He wasn't white and middle class. Are you holding to your preferences tighter than you're actually holding to the gospel? Which are you protecting? I don't care who you're voting, but whoever ends up in the office in the next couple months, is he's not saving you. He's not doing anything for you, let's be honest. Church, we are the bride of Christ. He purchased us. He purified us with his own blood. We have to remain pure. But to remain pure, you have to know what pure truth is. Read it. Let it sit and just weigh on you. Seek out the Spirit and say, Spirit, you know, show me what is true. Convict me of things that are false. When you know what's true and good, man, you protect that, don't you? If something doesn't bring life, but instead brings death, would you welcome it into your house? I'm going to ask that question again. And here's, it's a little bit different. Shake your head 
on what you would do. Yes, you would allow them into your house or no. If, if you knew something brought death, would you welcome it into your house? Okay, some of you guys are educated and you're still not getting it. Like, I asked a question. <laughs> yes, I will let that in my house. No, okay. I won't ask again so that your spouse won't look at you this time to see if you're doing it. But, but think about it. I mean, what are you actually allowing into your family? What are your kids learning in school? What are your kids learning here? I mean, are you thinking you're good because you walked in a building with a giant light-up cross? I, I could speak a little bit to that because I helped pick some of the curriculum that we're teaching here. They are learning good stuff here. But don't take my word for it. Talk to your kids. What gospel, what truths are being shared with them even in this very building? What are you going to go home, you're going to pop some popcorn later tonight, sit down on the couch with your wife or your husband? What movie are you watching? What, what movie did you watch with your kids the other, the other day? Do you know that those things, those messages in those movies are actually sharing information to those kids? To you? Are you being indoctrinated that really the highest good for you is to make it wealthy and easy life? Not that wealth is a bad thing. What gospel are you allowing to be taught to your family? Protect the bride in the name of Christ. Sometimes I'm blunt. I'll admit it. I grew up in New York. We don't argue. We discuss. And we discuss truthfully. Without nice words to make you feel happy after we're done telling you the truth. And, and some people have shared and told me, you know what, Kurt, you're just, you're just offensive. And I'm working on that. I'm trying. I know I'm not perfect. But at the same time, I will be blunt and I will be on the offensive if, if some false gospel begins to creep into this church. I shared this with the, the students in the youth ministry a couple weeks back. When I stand before God and he looks at me, he's not going to say, how many people did you offend? What was the coolest game that you played in youth group? He's going to say, you know what? When you had those kids sitting in front of you, what were you sharing with them? Were you making them feel good about themselves so when they leave, they can be like, life's good. Jesus loves me no matter what I do. Are you actually bringing the gospel of life to them? That's weighty on me. I've taught a bunch of kids in my life now. I mean, kids who, like the first day I was in ministry, God's going to be like, well, what about that kid? I don't know, God. I didn't know what I was doing that day. I plead with you to not tolerate false gospels for the sake of being tolerant. Tolerance leads to death. Truly. I plead in the name of true life 
that you show some loving, loving intolerance. This doesn't only protect the gospel. It doesn't only glorify the name of our great groom. But the Spirit might actually use your intolerance and you lovingly sharing the truth to draw those who are in error back to the truth. That's what Paul, excuse me, that's what John wants. It's not just John. I mean, you can read in Corinthians where Paul says, you know, kick them out of the church. Why? So that they rot in hell? No. So that they see, I'm outside of what is actually the church. Praise God that they showed me that. And they didn't just say, eh, it's fine. Come worship with us anyway. There is only one singular gospel that brings forgiveness. There's only one gospel that redeems, that brings righteousness. There's only one gospel that unites us with Christ. Because if you're not united with Christ, you don't have the Father. You don't have the Spirit. Know this. Some of you guys know this. You've known it from the time you were three years old. Don't just know it in your head. I mean, experience this. Let it permeate through your being. Experience the joy in life found in the true Christ and His gospel. Because when you do anything else, just doesn't seem right. The better you know it, the easier it is for you to pick up on the things that are not it. And if you know it, like I was saying, you experience something great, you can't wait to share it with somebody else and you're going to protect it when somebody pulls it down. Protect the truth adamantly with your life. In doing so, you guard the truth for others to know and experience. Protect the gospel because it shows honor to the Christ whose gospel actually brought life to you. Let's pray. Lord God, I, I pray that you would make your truths so clear to us. Help us to not forget the joy that we, we experienced when we first met salvation. Help us not to diminish your truth, to make others feel comfortable or to make us feel comfortable. Lord, your gospel is the only thing that brings us to God. It's the only thing that redeems every fiber of our being. I am not closed-minded when I say it is you alone.
Help us to love you so much that that love would flow out to others. That we would be honest and truthful with them when they are believing lies. Lord, if we have strayed or or manipulated the gospel, I pray that your spirit would confront us on that and that we would come to a place of repentance right here, right now. Lord, make yourself known in awesome ways. Let us dwell in your grace that you have sent from heaven to earth. That we would be transformed in amazing ways. That the only thing we would be able to do is worship you with every part of our being. Pray these things in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is... Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.